This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now. Mason's Brown Rice Hour, a podcast that quilts together a fabric of connection between land, race, money, culture, and spirit. Discover a connection that engages with the most inspiring and cutting-edge thought leaders today, pointing toward our collective healing and liberation. If you are interested in supporting the Brown Rice Hour, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Conda. So welcome, everyone. We are back with the Brown Rice Hour. Thank you for watching this podcast or listening to this podcast, however it's coming towards you. This is where we have conversations at the intersection of land, race, money, culture, and spirit. My name is Conda Mason, and I am the host of the Brown Rice Hour. And uh, we have a very special guest with us today, a dear, dear friend and colleague, Miss Noliwe Alexander. And Noliwe is the executive director of Peace at Any Pace and a core facilitator for our flag for the flagship program, Deep Time Liberation, as well as an upcoming program called The Elder and uh, upcoming The Elder and Alumni Programs. So we want to thank you, Noli, for being here. Welcome. Thanks so much. I have been looking forward to it, really looking forward to it. It's good. This is so good. It's so good yeah. to have you. It's so good to it's, have you. Yeah. We have spent so many time to get so much time together in different spaces, but to have you on my yeah. podcast is just super special for me. Yeah, you're my girl. I mean, you're, I miss you. I miss you. I miss you here. In Oakland. <laughs> I know. I'm not in Oakland anymore. As a matter of fact, yeah. speaking of that, I wanted to um, begin by a little bit of sacred, uh, setting up a little sacred space and thinking about the land that we're on right now. And yeah. as you indicated, I am not in Oakland anymore. I'm actually in Louisiana, which was um, the unceded territory of the Choctaw people. And so um where are you right now, Noli? Well, I'm in East Oakland, and it is the Chichenyo Ohlone, unceded Ohlone territory. And, you know, it's so funny. We're doing a lot of honoring of the land. Yeah. And I actually began to feel it was getting to be a little trite. So I needed to actually find out who these people were, who is this what? tribe. And I have such a connection with them, even though I don't know them, but I feel the energy of them. I mean, they were sacred people. They loved the water and they, you know, they loved ritual. 
And um, that's something I'm really working with land, land honoring. So, and they were storytellers. And so um, it just feels good to be able to honor them in yeah. that way. Uh, this, these Ohlone people, and they were all over this Northern California, this area from pretty much mm, Sacramento down to San Jose. You know, this is a big tribe. A big, big tribe. tribe. Yeah. You know, I always think about um, what it must have been like <clears throat> to just be on that because the Bay Area is so gorgeous and to just be there in the early days of just, yeah. you know, indigenous people being there on that beautiful. It's, it's just so gorgeous. I can only imagine. I think about that, like when prior to any colonialism and it being built up, what it must have been like in the Bay Area then. Yeah. Yeah. And we still have tribes who are active here. Yeah. And so they're yeah. trying to restore their language and really come together because there are different different um, tribal fractions within the Ohlone tribe. And so they're really trying to bring their, yeah. their people back together again. And I did this little history of their population. And in 1770, there were like 20,000. And as of 2010, there was 3,800. I mean, the diminishing of the people. Wow. Yeah. And yet they're still coming back together again, which I think is just a huge testament. Well, I think the land back the movement, too, is really strong in the Bay Area. Yeah, I'm not, very I mean, much. I'm familiar with land back that has been given back um, mm -hmm. to, to the Ohlone. And so it's also um, that movement, because of the politics of the Bay Area, is so strong. And it's just yeah, wonderful yeah. to see what's happening there with um, with honoring the indigenous people and, and literally giving their land back. So, yeah, I know some people who've actually um, put it in their will that they uh -huh. will give their their homes back the entire property Beautiful. that they're on. Yeah. So do it. Give it back. Yeah. Give it back. <laughs> it's not ours. To hold. No. <clears throat> yeah. And so I want to um, begin with a little bio and let okay. people know, let know them know who you are. I mean, they're already getting a sense of of the depth mm -hmm. of who you are. And so um, I'm going to read the bio, if you don't okay. mind. Um, That's fine. Okay, so Noliway Alexander. She's been a student of Vipassana meditation for close to 25 years. And throughout this time of deep devotion to the Dharma, Noliway has become a dedicated practitioner, a meditation teacher of various retreats and sitting groups. She does day-longs and class series programs as well. Noli is also dedicated, has dedicated much of her Buddha Dharma practice and teachings to the BIPOC, LGBTQIA+, at-risk and elder communities. She is a graduate of the Spirit Rock CDL4 program of East Bay Meditation Center, which is in Oakland, California, Commit to Dharma program in 2010, and is a graduate, a proud graduate <laughs> of Spirit Rock's teacher training from 2017 to 2020, which I, we were we were compadres and <laughs> both graduated from that program together. Yeah. So Noliway is the founder of Peace at Any Pace, Inc., a nonprofit organization that offers a journey to healing from intergenerational and ancestral trauma retreats and elder and youth programs as well, which are exclu exclusively for people from the African diaspora. Noliway is a wisdom keeper and humbled by the presence of her ancestor spirit that lives within and walks besides her. Thank you, Noli. Oh, thanks, Conda. Boy, listen to that. I know, <laughs> I right? That there's a lot there. There's a yeah. lot there. And there's so much that I want to get into, um, so many parts of, of, of your life. Mm -hmm. And 
I want to start with a question that I always start with. And now you've watched my broadcast. You've listened to I it. I have heard him, yes. And I think you know what that first question is. I do. And I've been thinking about it. And I bet you it. came I bet you came prepared. <laughs> <laughs> and as they say, I'm, I'm always born ready. <laughs> you were born ready. So, okay. So the first question, and, and you know, there's a reason why I asked this question, because it really not only is, you know, the brown rice hour about food and all of that, and, um, and you know, it brown rice changed my life, but... The answer to this question tells a lot about about a person, a family, how they grew up, where they grew up, how they grew up. Um, You get a sense of of time and space. And it's very interesting um, what I actually gleaned out of this question. So here's a question. What was your comfort food as Mm. a child and who prepared it for you? You know, I've been thinking about this. Girl, I have been thinking about it because like, what was it? And it was so easy. It came up so quickly. And my grandmother, mm. not Nana, mm-hmm. um, she originally was from Birmingham, Alabama, okay. and then migrated to Pueblo, Colorado. <laughs> and she, she always had, she raised five children during the Depression. She was a domestic, but she always had a garden. Mm. And we would visit her occasionally as a child. But when she and her husband, my, my, my papa, when they moved to California, they moved to Inglewood. And so it was real close to where we were, right, in L.A. Yeah. And they, they had a house that was big enough for a garden. And every time I go over there, it was, it was honestly, it's the greens. The greens. The greens. What kind of greens? What kind of greens? Collard greens. Collard and she would greens. mix she'd mix a little bit of uh, mustard greens in there. Okay. And it was like she just slapped something on it. You know, it wasn't anything I could specifically say how she cooked it. Right. But it was what she put on it. Mm, just, what did she put on it? That's what I'm saying. I don't know what it is, but she slapped some goodness on it. Goodness. You know? Goodness on it. Goodness. And I would come over and I would just get my whole plate would be full of her greens. <laughs> And then the other thing is that she would make monkey bread. You know what monkey bread is? Monkey it's bread, like yes. Monkey bread. Yes. Oh, and I would tell watch people, her. Tell the people about monkey bread, please. Monkey bread is nothing but dough, right? It's dough. But it's dough and butter. <laughs> and she would have a, it's almost like a bunt pan. And she would take these rounds and make oh, the dough so and slap it in the butter and then layer it, layer it, layer yes. it. Yes. Put it in the oven and I would be like this waiting for it to come out. The smell of the monkey bread, too. Remember that? Fresh bread. Fresh butter bread. And then I would just take a, you know, you could just peel layers off, layers upon layers. It was so good. Oh, my God. And so, you know, those are the things I look forward to when I went over there. And then when I got to be in college, high school and college, I would call her up Mm -hmm. and I'd say, Nana, I'm coming over. She goes, Okay. And by the time I got there, there was a pot of greens ready for me. She I just knew. It. I yeah. love it. I love it. Oh. And so what's your relationship now to collard greens? And I make them all the time. Do you? How do you make them? Make them. I make them with, well, now I'm a, a vegan. And so I make them with um, no meat, no turkey, no nothing, but just vegetable broth. I oftentimes put a, a jalapeno pepper in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes a little bit of... Um, carrots, but I cook them in onions and garlic, of course, garlic. And I cook them down and cook them down. I don't cook them so, so much that they're mush, but I cook them down and we have them probably about twice a month. I I love it. 
I go I out and get bundles of them and just yes. make them. Yes. We're growing some right now in the, in the garden. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's the state. It's a me- and it's a memory, you know, that yes. I can recall. Yes. And my mother didn't, wasn't really the best cook, honestly. Mm-hmm. My dad, my dad learned from, from my, my Nana, his mother. So he would make one last thing. I want to tell you, he would sure. make oxtail. 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 And, you know, I don't eat meat now, but I, it still can, I can still feel the sensation in my mouth. <laughs> right in the back. Right, right, right there. Mm, and I could, you know, he would, and there's not a lot of meat on the oxtail. No, right? it's a tail. Come on. It's a tail. But whatever meat, there, whatever meat there was, it would be falling but, off. But, and, but this is what you have to remember. All the food that our ancestors ate, the meat was very little meat on it because we didn't get the good part. We didn't get the good part. We got the tail. We got the ears. We got the feet, right? We got the nose. (laughs) We got all those places. We got (laughs) the intestines. (laughs) Oh, Lord, let's not talk about that. (laughs) We got all the places where there was little meat. And so what would happen, though, is that the kind of seasoning and how our folks would season it, right, is Mm -hmm. just so good. Oh, and, Mm. you know, I can still... Mm-hmm. All of those things, when I thought about it before our this podcast, it all came up again for me. It was it's a it's a sensation in my mouth. Yeah, and then it just opened my heart up again. Just yeah, to, it's, it's, and it's, it's, it's yeah, too, right. And yeah. that's what you know is so interesting how the conversation of food, or or sometimes when it's the opposite of that, and you know you were raised with canned beans and exactly. nobody really cooked. And, and what does that, you know, where, where that memory, what that jogs within you? So it's a, it's a interesting, it's an interesting question. And I, I love food and I love the way it, uh, <laughs> I do. I love it. I, I, know I, I grow it. I cook it, you know, and um, I, I love the way it tells the story yeah. of a family. You know, you know and it also, um, it brings up a memory of gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that I can be grateful that we had it. We didn't have a lot, but what we, we were always taken care of with our food. Yeah. We never lacked in food. Yeah. And it was made in these particular ways and made to stretch, you know. Made to stretch, girl. I yeah, we could, yeah. We didn't, <laughs> One we didn't meal could stretch. It, but it stretched. It you stretched. Know, uh, my grandparents had a little tiny little farm and it was, uh, yeah, probably it was less than an acre, probably a third of an acre. And they had cows and chickens and wow. turkeys and pigs and then the vegetable part. And we had to grow our food because we didn't, my family, we didn't have a lot of um, capital at all. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't have money, but we were food secure because we had access and we grew our own right. and they would slaughter the animals and put them, we had big freezers, and so it would last all year long. And then my grandparents and my parents did this every year. You know, they would go in together and do this. Wow. And it actually made me a vegetarian. <laughs> That's a lot of meat, huh? I couldn't stand the killing of the animals. Oh my God. It was it was it was pretty traumatic for me. I still yeah. think I need to go to therapy about it, but it was it did make us food secure and my family ate well because we yeah. had that. You know? And there's a sense of not lacking. Yeah. You know, no. maybe there was, you know, think different dysfunction going on in the family because I had that as yeah. well or whatever it might be. But there was, you're right, that food security made it feel like there was love. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. You know, I have and so especially many- when it's made with love. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. You know, I have to say one little thing, too, is that okay. I, I never asked myself this question. But um, since we're talking about it, right. there's a sense of my memory of my grandmother, who obviously was well, not obvious, but was, you know, a black woman. She made tamales. We grew really? up on the border of California and Mexico, right at the border in a little town called El Centro. And then she, we migrated a little north to the San Bernardino area. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And my grandmother made tamales. And I have memories of this big pot with steam coming out of it and the, and the husk, you know, and the masa. And yeah. me and my sister, you know, there in the kitchen and, and just eating. <laughs> she would give us the, you know, she give us the... the the, the husk and we could just like <laughs> eat off of it. But she made tons and tons of tamales. She even sold them. I mean, really? she, yeah, my grandmother made tamales like nobody's <laughs> business, man. We grew up very Mexican and black, like the, the Interesting. Kind of yeah. Southern black um, mm-hmm. uh, diet and the Mexican diet. Yeah. Where was she yeah. originally from? She was actually from Texas. So, Texas. Okay. Yeah, there from, again. Yeah, yeah. It's, which is really Mexico. <laughs> right. <laughs> By another name and and another occupier. That's right. Another occupier, another name, another (laughs) another cross border. So she grew up in Mexico. Um, So anyway, this is so much Mm. fun. I can talk forever about this. Oh, (laughs) God. And I'm hungry now. (laughs) Should we just cut it off right here and come back? Let's go eat and then come back. Oh, my God. Um, I I have so much uh, to talk to you about. And so I guess we'll get to it. You know, I think um, in your bio, Nola, you talk about being um, 25 years as a Dharma practitioner. So when I do the calculations, I know you're not 26 or 27 years old. (laughs) <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I know that's not. <laughs> yeah. And so I know you didn't start there with the Dharma. Right, right. Um, I'm wondering, were you raised in the any any particular black theological tradition? And when and how did you turn toward the Buddha Dharma? Oh, good question. That's a really good question. You. you know, <laughs> I wasn't raised in, I was raised a United Methodist. Okay. Very, very different than um, Baptist, um, AME. It was, you know, the, the hymns were, you know, like that. It was, it wasn't, you know, didn't have gospel. Yeah, it didn't, yeah. Didn't have gospel music or whatever. But my family, my my grandmother, my father, my mother later converted to Born Grin and then she was Baptist. But um, that's how I grew up until I was about 12. And we went to church every Sunday. We Did went you? to Bible study. We went to church, summer church school or whatever it was. Did you like it? Um, I liked it until I was about 12. Mm-hmm. And then I started to question. Mm-hmm. That's when my mind began to question, what is this about? It was maybe about mm-hmm. 11, actually. And mm-hmm. it was like, I wasn't being able to really put together who <laughs> these prophets were and why we were supposed to you know, honor them or, or live for them or they, how, that why they died for us, quote unquote. Sure. So at that point in time, there was a, a shift that happened in my family in the, in the, in the dynamic where my mother, my, my parents divorced when I was, I was 10. Then my mother moved up to Northern California. My sister and I stayed and lived with my father. While Which we was were where? Teenagers. In Colorado? In, no, in, in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. So we had been living in South <laughs> LA. And my dad was living in the San Fernando Valley. So we went to move to the valley with him. Yeah. By that time, I had stopped going to church. 
It mm. just was something wasn't interesting me. Okay. So when I went to junior high school, it was called junior high school then. Now it's middle school. But when I went to junior high school, I got turned on to a couple things that started my inward journey, actually. When mm. I was 13, I read Herman Hesse's Siddhartha. Oh, gosh, yeah. And that began this inner journey for me to recognize that there was something greater than myself. You and remember it didn't who gave you that book? I do. It was a um, a kid at school. Kid uh, at school. His name was, um, I'm going to say his name was Alan, if I can recall. Okay. Yeah. And there was a bunch of kids who were reading really esoteric books, mm-hmm. right? And so then I began to read all of Herman Hesse's books, um, The Glass Bead Game, Magister Ludi, Damien, all of that. But, um, and then when I was about in ninth grade, I guess it was, I started reading the autobiography of Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. And I got angrier and angrier and angrier. And here I was in this school that I just kept looking at these people, looking at them like they were the white devil. Right? So yeah. my father kind of went, okay, let me temper this. He pro- This is his thought, I think. And he handed me Khalil Gibran's The Prophet. So I had read um, Siddhartha, I had read Malcolm X, and now I've got the prophet. And he said, you need this for balance. Beautiful. And so that began a journey inward. Um, yeah, and I have gone from, in the 70s, I was, this is my first introduction to meditation was through Transcendental Meditation, TM. It didn't quite stick with me. I did other types of um, inquiries, spiritual inquiry. And um, it led me to doing more meditation when I moved. I moved back to Colorado um, Mm -hmm. as an adult and uh, moved and lived off the land and lived in a community and so forth. We did a lot of of meditation and yurts and teepees and all of that. And um, when I moved back again to kind of a little moving around here, back to the north, to the Bay Area, I was introduced to um, insight meditation, Vipassana. And our dear friend, Ruth King, actually. Ah, okay. uh, She said, why don't you come to a POC retreat at Spirit Rock? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, there I was. Bingo. Bingo. Yeah, I think it was in, that was in 2000, but I had already been doing, you know, quite a bit of meditation well before that. And... um, which which so POC retreat was it? That was like about the second or third. Or it was one? the second one. It was yeah, the second one. one. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's and literally have that's where we met and been on that land, you know, yeah. in that institution for over twenty years now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And so it that was that was what. What was it about insight mm-hmm. that felt like yeah this is this is. This is the one for me. I think it was identifying with my suffering. <laughs> that I had skirted over it. You know, I had been doing a lot of different work, whether it was through different type of, of mediums and, and Seth and Jane Roberts and Edgar Casey and other types of, of um, spirit work, yeah. land work. But I'd been skirting over the fact that, that I was actually suffering. Yeah. I could pinpoint everyone else's. Mm -hmm. And when I realized that the extent of my suffering stemmed from my own attachment to the outcome 
of my life. And that happened in that second retreat. It fundamentally changed me. The second Vipassana retreat that you took? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was it? Do you remember the, which retreat? Well, it was a PLC. Was a PLC? Was, oh, the PLC second, retreat. Second, second, okay. Yeah, yeah. I see. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I really got that this was housed in my body. Yeah. And in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It was profoundly... Um, life shifting, you know, it was is as, as if it was yeah. it shape shift me, you know, yeah, into wanting more, wanting to know more, wanting to practice more. In, do you in, remember? In what you, I'm sorry. Do you remember what your aha moment was in that retreat? Was there one particular thing, or just a culmination of all? I of think it? it was it was that that place of the, the what they you know what we call greed attachment, <laughs> and I remember. We were so small, we just had little councils at the end of the day, right? And we would have a talking stick, which was a microphone. We went around and I was, I waited till the last person in the last evening to take the talking stick. Hmm. And I talked about what was going on, what I was viscerally feeling, what was had arisen for me. Yeah. And I was weeping. And, you know, it wasn't just crying. It was that that ugly cry, that that boo, you know. That's ugly. And then pretty soon, after I was doing that, there was this. Oops. It was over. And I hadn't finished processing it all, right? I was still weeping. And so I walked into the bathroom. And this is what really, uh, the other thing that got me hooked. I walked right outside into the women's bathroom and was kind of hovered in the corner crying. And three women walked up to me. And one was Shahar Godfrey. Mm. ancestor another one was Olivia ancestor and the other one was Alice Walker and they held me like a baby Mm. and they allowed me to continue to weep Mm. and I realized that this is who we are as people of culture we're not going to follow those same mores of going into a retreat center that is so westernized that says you don't touch, you don't look, you don't comfort. And I really received what I needed. Yeah. And these three women will forever be my angels. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. So that's how I came to the Dharma in wow. this way. And I think the Dharma has always been in my life because I've always been a seeker. Yeah. And it sounds to me like the work that you are doing now with your nonprofits feels like it's a continuation of that. How many years ago? What year was that? 2000. 2000. That was a Yeah. 21 years ago. And it's still, it feels like there's this, I continue. I absolutely see the thread of what you just spoke of and the work that you're doing right now, now that you've graduated and you've done all the different trainings and trainings and trainings and you've been teaching forever and you've been doing incredible, you know, all kinds of teaching and, and you still do. But now, in addition to all of that, you have created two nonprofits that are jumping off from this source that you just described 
And they're so beautiful, Noli Way. Mm. They're so beautiful. And I really want to talk about that. Great. Thank you. Peace at any pace. Peace at any pace. First of all, I love the name. Mm. Peace at any pace. And I'm going to just quickly read the mission statement, if you don't mind, so that people know what it is. The, The mission of peace at any pace is to offer healing opportunities through culturally specific journeys genealogical mapping, storytelling, drumming, and mindful awareness to multi-generational people of the African diaspora who suffered from the impact of intergenerational and ancestral trauma. Peace at any pace facilitates national and international classes, retreats, and sojourns to bridge ancestral histories to present day experiences, transforming wounds to wisdom, leading to deep time liberation, which we'll talk about soon. So I, I love, I love what you're saying here and the work that this is doing. And, you know, something that you said that I want to, I want to shine a light on, I want to lift up on, you said in that bathroom, three women came up to you and they hugged you and they held you and they gave you what you needed. A typical Vipassana meditation retreat, you don't do that. You're in silence, somebody's doing the thing, you let them do it. You said, no, that's not who we are. That's not who you, what you needed, that silence. So I, there's, this, there's this merging that is happening with African diasporic tradition, cultural, spiritual traditions, and the Dharma. And what you're doing at Peace in Any Pace feels like this beautiful, beautiful integration. You want to yeah. shine some light on that? Yeah, thank you. You know, you you oftentimes speak of intersection. Mm-hmm. You know, when you begin with the brown rice hour, it's the intersection. Yeah. This is what I feel peace at any pace is doing. It's intersecting the trauma of our histories and our present moment mm-hmm. to being held with such um, tenderness and grace. Because what we do with peace at any pace and deep time liberation is the ground in which we're working from is also a place of compassion Mm -hmm. and loving kindness Mm -hmm. and equanimity and most of all joy. You know, we don't leave these sojourns and these these experiences without that that tangible sense that we are resilient. And just with the, the healing touch of another the listening touch of another, the heart opening of another, we can begin to create and and cultivate this healing power. And from that, there's a portal to joy and to to wellness. Yeah. You know, there's so many more people of culture coming into these halls of meditation. Mm-hmm. And, and because of the Western psychology and the way Western Dharma has been um, landscaped. It has said to many people, sit there and be with what's coming up. And sometimes in that silence, because what is happening in our bodies as people from the African diaspora, we have so much that's arising. It's not just the irritation of somebody else in the room. It is the histories and the herstories that are starting to show their face. And Our hope is that we can begin to bridge that 
begin to allow for the non-reactive self to show up because we're actually becoming more and more in touch with our ancestral history mm-hmm. and the ancestral trauma yeah. that we have endured and yet we have survived. But we need to know it, witness it, um, be the ones that are able to say, and through kind of that equanimous mind is to be able to say, and I see this. This is the intersection. And we do it through this deep dive into calling in your ancestors. Who are they? Mm-hmm. Call their name. Witness them. We drum them in. We ask them to hold this, this space for us. And then we, we begin to look at these places in which we're frayed. And we do this incredible mapping that takes us into your genealogical history. And the legends of these are not necessarily, here's my family tree, but things that are specific to our lineage and who we are. Mm -hmm. Have you been affected by addiction? Have you been affected by clan taking, clan, the clansmen taking over your property? Historic. Mm -hmm. Have you been taken over by um, police violence? Have you been abandoned? Have you lived in poverty? Those types of things. What is the mental illness that may have been in your family? Mm-hmm. As people from the African diaspora, because of our conditioning, we've held secrets. In that, that holds the trauma in our body. That's where we, we hold it. That's, that's how yeah. we, and that's how we thought we survived. And yet it created more and more disease. So we're trying to unearth that. In, these, mm. in this work that we're doing. Um, and it's powerful work. It's we see it. Yeah. 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 You know, in the mission, you say that people of the African diaspora who suffer from the impact of intergenerational and ancestral trauma. I'm wondering, how does one know that? I mean, we're just, people are living their lives here, being impacted by things day to day, the racism that's institutional, that shows up in, in, in so many ways. And, and then just being a human in general is hard. Right, right. How does one know that, ah, oh, this is trauma and this is ancestral trauma? How is that revealed? Well, it's revealed through these particular exercises that we do, these ways in which you can map your history and your family remembering you know that's one of the things that we just have to do we have to remember to remember okay what did your grandmother say mm-hmm. what did they live through what did what did your grandmother tell you about her mother mm-hmm. and what they had to live through because oftentimes especially in 2021 when a lot of people saying i'm traumatized some of it is not their trauma it's vicarious trauma it's the trauma that has laid within their cellular memory. That's what's showing up. You're talking about the collective trauma? It's of- collective trauma and it's individual trauma as well. Okay. So-and-so traumatized me. But why did they traumatize you? What was the spark? What was the trigger? And maybe it's actually rooted deeper and deeper than what we even know. Yeah. yeah. And those cellular memories that place in which we hold the ways in which we are Mm -hmm. 
tend to not be looked at, tend to be um, discarded. And what happens is we begin to look at what's happening now instead of looking at what has happened in the past. And I think that there's something so very rich around where are we holding fear? Where are we internalized? All of that. Um, Our rage, our hatred. This is real. And it may not come from us, but it may come from a history Mm -hmm. of it happening within our family Mm -hmm. unit or within the collective people in which we have had to live in our society and the conditions. Let's, Let's be faith. Let's real get real. Yeah. The conditions that we've had to live in. And so we, when we, I'm sorry, when we started this, we started to do this for all people of color. Mm-hmm. This, these, these exercises, these sojourns, these programs. And we realized that we didn't know what we didn't know. <laughs> I couldn't address what happened to the immigrant um, Latinx community or to the Chinese American API community. But what I could address, because this is what I know and the secrets that we have held in my own family, I could do it for those from the African diaspora. And that's what our team and our organization is about. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because also when I look at the mission of, um, what is it, the, the um, uh, Deep Time Liberation, first of all, that's, you know, I love the name again, Deep Time Liberation. I'm going to um, read a little bit about what you have on your website. Okay. You sure. have uh, Deep Time Liberation delves into the exploration of how our ancestral legacy and historical beliefs influence our present lives. Once we understand the need for committing to our individual and collective healing, the pathway to healing appears. We can then recognize and acknowledge the experiences in history, clouding our perceptions, causing us to continually cause harm to ourselves and others because of our reactions. Identifying the genesis of our suffering comes in part from the intergenerational and vicarious traumas, which you just spoke of, known or unknown, past or present. The attachments, the delusion, and the aversion that we've experienced blocks the portal to healing and the way out is through the recognition and honoring of our historical harm. Deep time liberation will engage you in rituals, storytelling, drumming, and discovery through the lens of insight meditation practices. You know, I, when I read that, Noli Way, I can, I can read it with two minds. I read it as a black woman, and I feel like liberation is possible. I feel like it's your 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 it's an invitation. You're giving me an invitation to heal and to to liberate myself from my own from the stories, whether known or unknown, that are lodged within me. You've given, and we know that they're bad. We know we know what happened with, mm-hmm. with, with uh, is slavery in America. We know what chattel slavery was like, and so we know that there's got to be stuff there. At the same time, I can read that as the human being. Okay, and I think that I wish white body people had the same kind of program for them, separate from what you know what mm-hmm. you're doing with, with with the African diaspora. But it speaks to, as I read it, 
the fact that the the legacy and the history of 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 harm and and healing and the clouding perceptions that you know was causing you know the harm to to ourselves and to each other and the suffering i mean it delusion attachment aversion all of that it feels to me like if there was a tandem program for white bodied people mm-hmm. to go through to also dig through because they've got to do it too because we're exactly if we don't all do it then do this deep work then it's it, we're still here on this finite beautiful you know spaceship earth mm-hmm. Bumping up against each other, right. traumatizing each other, and the lack of the the detraumatization of white-bodied people is an important aspect for us as well. What do you think? And about I think that? I think you're absolutely correct. And I know that Resma is doing some work with white-bodied individuals and um, uh, bodies of culture and color. But I think that what happens if we don't do it together independently? Oh, yeah. There is, yeah, really, we're not going to do it together. But there is the continual blame, blaming the other, blaming the other, instead of really looking so deeply inside ourselves, because it is not a pretty look sometimes, right? Yeah. It's not pretty to understand what even our ancestors went through. It's painful to relive the pictures and to actually reprogram ourselves from our own stories. For white-bodied individuals, this work is essential. Yeah. I, I'm not confident that the majority of white-bodied individuals want to do this work. Because I think I, that there is this place of delusion. You said the word. Oh, yeah. It's too much. I mean, you know, they're still um, trying to understand so many people, white-bodied people, trying to even believe that, you know, racism still exists in America. Although I think that you know, the most recent horrible murder of, of um, um, George Floyd, George Floyd kind of opened that, you know, kind of buried that delusion. But I don't. Yeah, this is deep work for everybody. I mean, you know, African diasporic people to want to do this work is a big lift because yeah. it's it's going to it also allows someone like you said, when, you know, to liberate oneself means I'm letting go of a story that actually gives me comfort, even mm-hmm. if it's a negative story, mm-hmm. right? Even if it's a story yeah. of, of, soft, of sorrow and woe and suffering, I hold on to it and it's a, it's a comfort. There's like this, like this blanket. Exactly. I have to get rid of that blanket and actually take, look at, you know, what's happening with myself, my ancestry and all of that. I mean, that's a lot for anybody, Norway. That's a lot. And we have to hold that, which is why we have such a small group to gathering every time. Perfect. We don't want 100 people. Yeah, we no. can't hold the energy right, right, of what's right. arising. And one of the things I just want to say about Deep Time Liberation and all the other programs of Peace at Any Pace, there's no guarantee for liberation. Not for an individual, not for the collective. But what there is is the possibility of it. Yeah. Possibility, and that's even why I stayed on the on in in Buddhism at this point. I there's no guarantee that I'm going to be quote unquote free, yeah, from the, my own suffering. Right. But there's a possibility of it if I do the work. 
And what we ask of people is to show up, Mm -hmm. open and do the work and actually to take the the crust that has formed around your heart Mm -hmm. and begin to let that crust go and open your heart and be willing to have faith Mm -hmm. in this process and this program that you're going to be able to come out of the other side of it. Yeah. And again, no guarantees, but the possibility of going through that portal to healing. It's there. Yeah. Deep time liberation is, it's, it's a powerful formula. What we're doing is powerful. Yeah. And I just want to give a shout out to the facilitators. Oh, please. Yeah. Let's talk. We've got... Devin Berry, who oh. helped form this together, and he's Devin. doing incredible work. Devin Berry. Yeah, big bows, big bows. Devin is, he's I rock solid. Devin. Yeah. He's and we have been doing this together since its very inception. Uh, he came back, he did this work, he came back. He, he actually went to a plantation and did metta. He went to the plantation, actually, he visited where his people were enslaved, his family. Yeah. So he has been doing this for such a long time. We then created Deep Time Liberation and began to bring it forward. We invited Rosetta Saunders in, who's an educator of yes. over 25 years and who's doing some deep, deep rooted work in African ancestry and is a drummer. And so knowing yeah. how to call in through the drum, the talking drum, the djembe, calling in the ancestors to be held. And then doing her own work along the path of understanding where the secrets and the suffering lied in her family. I don't. And then we called in Dara Williams, who is a Buddhist practitioner, but also a trauma therapist and has a deep, deep relationship to people in that level of suffering. And these are the four of us. And we have other wonderful board of directors and supporting staff. This is an, an organization right now that is, it's, it's now, it's happening now. It's, it's, it's on the precipice to really making some change occur. Yeah. And um, I couldn't be more proud. Yeah. And me so much proud about you too, Lily Way. You have um, created something out of your own experience. I mean, they say that the best um, work, business work, or whatever, however it manifests itself, nonprofit, for profit, is doing the work that you know inside yourself. And so you clearly just starting from, again, from the very beginning, talking about, um, you know, how you started on the path and um, you've connected the dots, you've created something out of nothing. And I'm so proud of what you're doing mm-hmm. and so interested in being able to do a journey sometime with you. Um, it's, 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 it's incredible. And I'm, I'm curious for those who have attended so far, how many journeys have you done so far? And, mm-hmm. and what, tell us a little bit about them and also um, what has been the result from people afterwards? Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's a great question. We've done one in-person journey. We've done some individual journeys for ourselves in order to really, you know, you can't teach what you don't know. Mm 
Right. So we've done some journeys ourselves. We've done one um, in-person journey, and then we got toured with the, the pandemic. COVID, and so, yeah. yeah, there it was. It kind of took us away. <laughs> we have just, we had to re, oh, re plan and reorganize ourselves and write a whole new curriculum to bring it online. To bring it online. Yes. Yeah. And we didn't know if it was going to work (laughs) and it worked beautifully. Of course. We just had, yeah, in May we had our online uh, retreat. We shortened the days. It was four days. And in December we have another one online. And in, in April of 2022, We'll be back on site. Yes, fingers crossed. Um, Where is on site? On site is going to be in Louisiana. We're going to start there. We're going to um, eventually go to a a slave plantation called the Whitney Plantation in Edgard, Louisiana, Mm -hmm. and have the participants actually walk on those hollowed hollowed grounds. Mm -hmm. It's a sugar plantation. Yeah. And so you see a tremendous amount of vats. And uh, John Cummings, who is a white man from Louisiana, an attorney who bought the plantation and poured millions of dollars into it so that it could be reclaimed as a slave representation of the enslaved Africans who came there. Um, and he hired a, a, a person named Dr. Abraham Sick, who is an anthropologist from Senegal. And he began to unearth names and histories of who were there. So it's an powerful experience for the participants to walk on those grounds. Um, And so that's where we're going to be housed, at least for in April. We're looking to go to the Gullah Islands. We're looking to go to um, the Peace and Justice Museum in Montgomery and possibly just being housed in South in North Carolina and then go down there for another sojourn. So we've got these ideas to do. We Again, we don't take a lot of people. <laughs> you know, 15 to 20 is our really maximum for on-site as well as online. But the results have been this. People have said that they didn't know until they actually called in their ancestors, saw their pictures, brought their names in, how interconnected they were with who their ancestors were, how they walked, how they lived, how they breathed. Yeah. One gentleman from our last retreat said, I really wasn't wanting to do this one exercise called the geneogram that really tracks maps, your family history. And once I did, I recognized that I'm from a long line of people who've abandoned. Men who abandoned. And then I started to look at myself. Mm. What were the patterns that were lying within me? Well, another person who one evening was up until one o'clock in the morning researching and researching through ancestry because she had two names and Mm -hmm. she wanted to go deeper because now she wanted to know. Yeah. And from that, she began to feel the healing of herself. This is the possibility that we work with. That we can actually lay this groundwork for people to unearth what is not pretty and messy. And we talk about that. This is not going to be easy. Yeah. Is there any follow-up, Noliway? Like if somebody does this, I, I, I can also imagine kind of a re-traumatization happens. 
Yeah. And um, along with the healing, there's this re-traumatization that could also happen. And I'm wondering what kind of follow-up is, is there that people have to... We have tremendous resources we've given them as well as being able to reconnect because what we do in these is retreats is we are creating a community, okay. a community of people who have like-minded, uh, like-mindedness but also a common language now. So they're able to reconnect. And then we have reunions and a place where now online, because everything is online, we're able to gather people together and we give them little snippets of opportunities to reimagine um, if they have forgotten to remember what the retreat was about. Yeah. And we want to begin to do that on a quarterly basis. And then pretty soon the next retreat will have another 15 and then we'll have another 15. And the beautiful thing is we are planning a program called the alumni program. Okay. So those who have gone through deep time liberation can then um, enroll into the alumni program and that program We'll take them to a different journey, which we will actually have them staying on a, on a plantation, sleeping there. And in that particular modality, we will be looking at that next step to healing, and that's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And it's not forgiveness <clears throat> of the oppressor or anyone who's on that land, but it's forgiveness of self and the conditions that we have been beset with. Yeah. Yeah, and looking at the rage and the anger that is that's still possibly lying within us. Yeah. So that's the alumni program that hopefully people who've gone through deep uh, time liberation will be able to uh, join in with. So Noliwe, how has this work impacted you as a Dharma teacher? How, how is your has your teaching changed? It has. It has. Tell me about that. I am finding ways to now integrate and weave in the sense of 2,500 years of Buddhist cosmology with 400 years of an enslaved narrative to an ancestry and a land that goes back from the beginning of humankind. Mm -hmm. I'm able to weave that in and look at what is contemporary in our lives. Because when I now teach the Dharma, I'm teaching it from this this woven place of how does 2,500 years ago connect with now? How does that connect with you? Mm -hmm. So that people are not just walking away with a theory or a principle, but they can actually apply it. What could be the antidotes that we can use today? How do we live our lives today given these Bodies. I just had a woman ask me, how do you deal with greed, hatred, and delusion from a, as a black woman? Mm. And your answer was? Mm. It was vast. It was vast. <laughs> we'll talk about it yeah. afterwards. Yeah, we're talking about yeah. question. <laughs> yeah, it, it, because we're always asking that, and I'm yeah, very absolutely. honest. Sometimes how is it different? Like, how is that suffering of, of when we talk about Buddhist principles of greed, hatred, and delusion mm-hmm. as 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 black people in this country? When the Dharma is talking about greed, hatred, and illusion, and particularly Western convert Buddhism, mm-hmm. they're looking at primarily in, in this country, white body people who are right. Dharma practitioners and Dharma teachers. And so, you know, they're healing that. 
Is that the same thing that we need? Is that the same? Is it? It isn't. It right. isn't. Because if you're driving in a car, as this one particular example was, I'm driving in a car and a policeman's behind me, I can feel what's arising in me. I'm already adverse. Right. That's a condition. Right. Mm-hmm. And what is that relationship now that you have? And what then is the story you tell yourself whether the car, go, the cop car goes right around you? Right. right. You're still impacted. You're impacted. That's right. The whole nervous yeah. system has just it's gone through exactly. a whole thing. Right. Yeah. And so how do you then, quote unquote, be with it? Yeah. When you've actually had the visceral feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you actually, for me, as I spoke to You've got to understand what that sensation is like yeah. and how that sensation then reacted with your mind telling you the story. That's right. And how do you, it, and the difference is that reaction, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's bigger and it's more vast than all of that. But yeah. it is different um, when you have had an oppressive state around you for most of your life, if not all of your life. I am well into uh, this next chapter of my life at this point. <laughs> and so I am constantly aware of what has happened, what is present, and what I am doing now with this work is to really begin to lay the groundwork for future generations. Yeah. So that they know. You know I have a grandson who's four. I want him to know his people are what did we have to endure and what did we survive and how are we resilient and joyful Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so that he much like the wheel of samsara at some point you know with dependent origination even you have to cut it somewhere whether it's an impact or becoming or whatever that might be we have an opportunity for future generations to stop the cycle Mm-hmm. Of, a, of our internal oppression mm-hmm. yeah. by knowing, witnessing, bearing witness to our ancestral history and to the trauma that besets us as well. What a gift we have. Yeah. What a gift we have in you, Noli Way. Mm-hmm. You are... Your kind heart, your tender, kind heart. It's just, it leads. It leads in everything you do. And I feel so honored to, you know, journey next to you and have you as my friend and my colleague and my teacher. And it's just, it's so beautiful to see this manifestation of you. And your peers, and I know it's not just you know you've got a team, and uh, and I honor that team, um, and I just want to say I'm so so grateful for who you are and the tenderness that you bring to everything, mm-hmm. you know. And like you just said, I mean, you're at the whatever part of your life journey you're on, but those that are coming, you're doing this work for those that are coming. Yeah, and I think about Calvin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Look at that smile that he puts on your face. <laughs> say his name. <laughs> yeah, he's um, and and for and for his ch- children. Yeah, and his children and his children's right, children. Right. Exactly. Exactly. 
I want and to I just, think that one of, I just want to say one last sure. thing. As we heal from these traumatic experiences of our past, mm-hmm. we're actually, and we begin to do this work for future generations, we're actually also healing the ancestors who couldn't. Yeah. And That's I really true. want to make that clear. We are not doing this alone. Right. We are being held, pushed, loved, supported all the way. My back is being held up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by Nana and those greens and that monkey bread. There you go. There you go. And by my dad and those oxtails and my mom with her laugh. Yeah. yeah. I'm being held up mm-hmm. by my ancestors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and right if, they, if they couldn't speak their own truth, let me be the one to do it. For them. Yes. You have that opportunity. You have all the resources. You have everything you need to be that liberating voice for them and right. you're doing that. And that is exactly too. So it's those who are coming and those who have come before us who right. are speaking that truth for them. Yeah. And this you know, is deep time liberation. This, this is, is, that's what deep, deep time liberation time is. Liberation, right. Deep time liberation is such an appropriate name. Yeah. I want to also um, offer to folks your two very, very impressive websites that I love. I love being on your websites. Mm-hmm. Deep Time Liberation um, is, is uh, deeptimelib.org, deeptimelib.org. And Peace at Any Pace website is just peaceatanypace.org, peaceatanypace, P-A-C-E dot org. Malise Way. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> I know. I have to. I have to. I help myself. No leaves way. I love you dearly. I love you, Conda. Thank you for this opportunity to talk about what is now yeah. opening my heart. Yeah. And really calling forth this work. Beautiful. And I hope on your websites there's a place where people can reach you if they want to talk yes. to you or if there's resources that they have that they want to help you resource your work yes that that opportunity is there to to help resource this work thank you and i want to say that we offer these programs to people pretty much for free Mm -hmm. because those who need it may not be able to afford it and as we move into the elder project we're going to be offering that for free and the youth and young adult um, program as well so we are a nonprofit really looking for funding and people who can align themselves to this mission. Yeah. You know, this is, it's not esoteric. It's not out there. It's really grassroots on the ground. Let's heal. Yeah. Let's do this work together. So one person at a time, one person at a time. So it's really great to be able to offer it in the ways that we are. That's so beautiful. Even more beautiful. There's no price that can get in the way of somebody wanting to attend this. Yeah, Beautiful. so I'm excited about that. Miss Conda, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for being with me this this day and just, you know, spilling yourself to <laughs> and opening your heart and your beautiful yeah. smile and your mm. just your heart is so beautiful. Thank you, Noli. You're welcome. All right, sweet one. All right. You be well, okay? We'll okay. see you around the around the way. Yes. Hopefully in Alexandria, Louisiana. Please, please, yeah. please, please. Come. I want to come. Yeah. Come, come, come. Here okay. I am. All right. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.